Amen. Right on. I'm excited to um, conclude today vertical our series called A Vertical Story. And uh, we get to conclude it with a really great friend of ours, Scott Rogers, who I'll call up here in just a minute. But a couple things I want to share about him. He knew me when I was about eight years old. Uh, he was a part of a ministry uh, that my parents were a part of. And so literally my whole life, um, he's been able to speak life into us and encourage us and, um, and challenge us. And so we're excited that he's one of those authentic friendships. Um, you know, you can have people that kind of check in and and are there or around, but then you have people that you know just are authentic and pulling for you and encouraging you. And so um, Scott has always been that to us, and so it was a no-brainer. It was funny. God put on my heart to ask him to be a part of our board here at Vertical Church, and uh, it was just a couple days later he called and was just speaking life and encouraging us and asked if he could pray for us. And what was funny about that was the way that we decided to choose our board was based on people who had a heart to just pray for us and encourage us with no strings attached. You know, he didn't call and pray and encourage us just because he was a part of the board or anything. No strings attached. He did it because that's the guy that he is. And um, so literally it was easy, a no-brainer to say, hey, will you be a part of what we're doing here? Will you help us? Will you help oversee all this? And um, so great pleasure to introduce to you. If you clap your hands, your best for uh, my friend here, Scott Rogers. Oh, man, good morning. Good to see you guys. Thanks for those very kind words. Uh, I'm excited to be here. This is, I haven't felt humidity and moisture like I have today in a long, long time. Uh, just stoked to be here. I, uh, we, we, my wife and I and our, our three kids, we live in uh, Northern California, just outside of Sacramento, and uh, it's where the dry air lives, and so it was great. I got up in the hotel this morning and looked out the window. What, what happened? Like, there's, there's water on cars, you know, what's going on? It was just a reminder, oh yeah, that's right, it's Michigan. And I brought my good friend Mark Bashirn with me, who lives up in Cadillac, and I was able to experience uh, some pleasure yesterday that I didn't expect. Do you ever have that, like, how many of you guys have ever had the opportunity to actually pray with someone to lead them to Christ? How many of you guys have done that? Okay, well, you, Mark's known Jesus for a while, so I didn't get to do that with him. But I had something next to that pleasure. I actually got to introduce him to Captain Sunday yesterday. And he got the Tommy Turtle Sunday, and it was, we were like almost on our knees going, oh, Jesus is on the throne, this is amazing, so cool. So that was just the little pleasure I had yesterday with, with Mark. Uh, I walked in here this morning, and I noticed a lot of stuff. I had the opportunity to be here, I think it was in the fall or something, I was just in town, and we, we got together, and we walked through this, this hospital, or it used to be a hospital, I remember taking our, one of our daughters here one time years and years ago when it was a hospital, and uh, just walking through, and, and Josh is saying, hey, we're going to be in this room. So we're going to worship and all this stuff. And up here is where the kids' spaces is going to be. And, um, and it was just amazing. I thought, wow, they've got a lot of work to do. And I walk in this morning, I just noticed, you guys kick butt. It looks awesome in here. I mean, gosh, it's, it, and Jessica did a phenomenal job decorating the place. You may not realize this because sometimes when you're standing so close to it, you don't really see it. But it's not normal to walk into a brand new church that has a facility like this. And the neat thing is that you can already see God moving in just the, the drywall and the carpeting. And you think, man, what's God going to do as he transforms lives in this place? So you guys be excited because this is the good old days. You will never repeat the first six months of Vertical Church. You actually get to be a part of it. And it's, it's pretty exciting stuff. So look, look, look at somebody right now. Look them in the eye and say, all right, we're in. Now look back at me and say, don't do that awkward stuff to me. Like, make me talk to somebody at church, and that all feels weird. Isn't that, isn't that weird? So, uh, oh man, uh, I am excited, and my message is kind of on what Josh said. 
kind of. I said, you know, we live in California, and I realized this summer, we've only been there for a couple years, and I realized this summer why it's called the Golden State is because everything is burnt up by this time of the year. Everything's brown, it's all dried out, it's burnt up, and it's the Golden State. But where we live, we live in a town called Folsom, which is just northeast of Sacramento. And funny you mentioned Jesus culture. My friend Banning Leapshire and those guys are starting their first church in, uh, in Folsom, in our town. It's called Jesus Sacramento. So it's, it's really cool. We're excited uh, for our community about that. So we live in this place that Johnny Cash made famous because there's this little thing called a prison in Folsom. And it's a beautiful area, though. I mean, we live, uh, we live like 90 minutes. So you want to go one direction, you're in Lake Tahoe. You want to go two hours west, you're in San Francisco. Not that far, you're in Napa Valley. If you really want to go for a long drive, you drive three hours down to Yosemite National Park. It's a horrible place to live. There's nothing to do. It's ugly, ugly, right? It's phenomenal. So we're sitting in the house uh, last weekend on Saturday, my wife Shelly and our three teenagers. We have a 17-year-old girl named Ashley, a 16-year-old girl named Morgan, and a 13-year-old boy named Dylan. And we're all in the house on a Saturday morning, and we're shocked because we had realized that we were rarely in the house together. And we're sitting at the kitchen table. It was Shelly and Dylan, myself, and Morgan, and we're eating breakfast. It's just, if you have a teenager, you, you understand what I'm saying? Like, how do you ever get the whole family together at one time? They're like all over the place all the time trying to chase them down. And we're suddenly sitting in the house together, talking, and we had the whole day. We didn't really have anything to do, and we thought, well, what do we want to do? Because we'd been wanting to go to Santa Cruz for a while, but we just didn't make it. We thought, well... Man, that'll be a whole day. That'll really be packed in, so should we do something different? We could go to the Bay Area. It would be a long day, but maybe we could do that. Or just drive up to Tahoe. And literally, we're talking this stuff out. And, and I, I noticed how quickly we get used to our surroundings, where it's like, man, we actually live here. People pay to come out here. We just pay, absorb, we, we pay to live there, trust me. But it's like, this is a beautiful area. And we're sitting there going, what do we do? And we could not figure out what to do. And we kind of got a little frustrated. We're like, man, the one day, everybody's in the house, and we can't figure out what to do. And we started to get a little discouraged. And all of a sudden, my wife, Shelly, says something. And literally, everybody almost, I don't want to be overdramatic, tell you the truth. Everybody almost cheered. We were like, yes, that's it. Let's do that today. So you think, what was it? Was it Tahoe? Was it the Bay Area? Was it Santa Cruz? Was it going to be Napa? Was it going to be up in the Sierra Nevadas, up the street a little ways? Shelly comes up with the idea. She says, let's go to Ikea. And everybody cheered. The whole family, yeah, man, we're going to go to Ikea. Let's do this. And, and instantly, I'm seeing visions of Swedish meatballs. You ever been to Ikea? You get 15 Swedish meatballs for like $6.99. It is the deal of the century. I just love going to Ikea because you get to eat that stuff. And so we go. We spent like half the day rummaging around Ikea, picking up a couple things, and it was like our family's day out, the Saturday, and you think of everything going on around us. Isn't it funny how we'll just go to Ikea because we get so used to where we are? I just kind of, I notice things like that. I also notice something else, turning into some sort of message here, if you're ready for it. Are you ready for it? So I noticed um, King Solomon, possibly, maybe probably the wisest man to live aside from Jesus himself, he noticed a lot of things about life. And in fact, he was so wise, he'd, he'd had it all. He had the most wealth ever. He'd been there. He'd done that. He got the t-shirt. He lived it all on both sides of the spectrum. And God uses him 
to write the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible nearly 3,000 years ago, and Solomon is literally just noticing some things about life. Just 50 years ago, some of you may remember that. I, I don't yet, so I'm, I'm good there. But just 50 years ago, there was this rock band called The Birds, and they wrote this song based on Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It was called Turn, 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 and it went number one on the Billboard charts, so the birds took the Bible to number one on the rock charts, singing a song, Turn, 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 because they noticed the same thing. I can't help but noticing it in my life, the very same thing, and I would expect you guys probably do as well, that in life there are seasons that we go through. There are seasons in our life that we go through that we, you just you can't help it but go through different seasons. And I think, and I would suggest to all of us here, that if we want to live life well, we've got to embrace the season that we're in. And here's my thought, is, okay, good seasons and tough seasons. Life is hard enough. I mean, come on, you guys agree? There's enough challenges in life that when a good season comes, embrace it, man. You deserve it. Live it. Enjoy the season that God has given you. If you're in a good season, embrace it, because if you don't, you're probably not going to enjoy it like you should. The flip side of that is when you're going through a tough season, I think that if we don't embrace that tough season, we may not make it out of that season. It's important to embrace where we are in the seasons of life. And we're going to look in 2 Timothy, if you have a Bible, turn there to chapter 4. In 2 Timothy 4, and we're going to look at some, some verses that Paul, to me, just really hits on that, that goes into the seasons of life. And let me give you some context for Paul's life. All right, the Apostle Paul. He literally is the religious guy, the religious Pharisee, if you're familiar with Scripture. He's done all, dotted all the T's, uh, dotted all the I's, crossed all the T's, lived the religious life. And then he has this, this, this desire to persecute followers of Jesus, sees them beaten, thrown in prison, even as part of them getting martyred and killed. And then he has this radical conversion to Jesus. And, he, and Jesus changes his life. And then he goes on to literally, God uses him to write over half of the New Testament. He reaches the then-known world with the message of Christ. He goes into prison a number of times. He's beaten. He's left for dead. He says, I've experienced hardships. I've experienced hunger. I've experienced people uh, leaving me and abandoning me. And then he also says in another part of the Bible that God literally took him up to what was like a third heaven. And he saw some of the amazing things in heaven that he couldn't even speak about, he says. Just an amazing, amazing journey this guy's been on. And now in 2 Timothy, he is in his, the, the season of life, he's literally come to his final season. He's in a Roman prison. He's awaiting his trial, which is certainly going to be death. He's going to be persecuted, and he's going to be martyred, and he's going to be killed for his faith. He's sitting in prison, and he's in his final season of life. And in this moment of this intensely personal letter to his protege, Timothy, he writes in chapter 4, verse 6 through 8, about himself. He says this, check it out. He says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the what? Finished the, I have remained. Trying to get you guys awake, Vertical Church. Come on, man, let's try this again. This is not a senior citizen's home. Let's do this one more time. I have remained. You're getting there. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, 
but for all who eagerly look forward to his return. Paul is in his last season of life, and he has been through a lot of seasons. And I think that he has embraced every single season he's been in. He's said in another place in the Bible, I've known what it's like to have plenty, and I've known what it's like to lack. But in all of it, he remained content in his relationship with Christ. And one of the things that I want to share with you guys is how to embrace the season that you're in is this. is To embrace the season you're in, the first thought is just go all in. Say that with me. Will you say, go all in? We're getting there, Josh. We're getting there, man. Come on, say it again. Go all in. Ah, it feels better. It's like a shower to my soul. Here's what he says in verse 6. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. My life has been poured out. He's poured his life out as an offering to his Father, to his Creator. And here he is in the very final season, not even just the season, but the last episode, if you want to call it that, of his life, potentially days from his death. And he says, I poured it out. And he still is investing in the work of God and in the kingdom of God by investing in Timothy. If you read that book, he's, he's encouraging Timothy's in a hard spot. He's like, Timothy, don't be ashamed of the gospel. God's given you courage. He's given you a sound mind. Remember, I laid hands on you. Use the gift that God gave you. Stay in, the, stay in this deal. Go for it. He says, I have poured out my life as an offering. He's basically saying, go all in with the season that you're in, wherever you are, go all in where you are. I think of the good seasons. Man, go all in with it. When you're in a good season, embrace it and stay humble, stay teachable, be compassionate toward others, be generous toward others. And when you're in that season where, man, I'm just in a good season right now, you just can be contagious to other people by the joy and the pleasure that we're experiencing in life as a result of knowing Christ. But go all in with it. Don't be timid like, hey, how you doing? Well, you know, life is really good right now, and um, it sucks to be you, but it's great to be me, and it's all good. And No, just embrace it and say, man, God is amazing. He's showing me new things. He's doing new things in my life. How can I serve you? How can I help you? Just go all in, pouring your life out as an offering to God in that good season. When the tough seasons come, still, go all in. Double down on trusting in God. Double down on his word and say, God, it seems like all hell's breaking loose in my life right now, and maybe it is, but God, I'm going to hold on to you more than I ever have. I am all in. I'm going to try to live as best I can according to your word, and I'm going to live with integrity, and I'm going to love people, and I'm going to walk this walk out even though I'm walking through this season that I'm in. Win or lose, doing right is always the right thing to do. 2008, December 28th, three days after Christmas. Man, it was a cold day in Green Bay, Wisconsin. It's always a cold day in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Who would want to live in Green Bay? Any Packer fans in here? Oh, I get this sense like, oh, I don't know. December 28th, 2008, freezing, three days after Christmas, and the people in Michigan are pretty stoked, pretty excited. The Lions are playing the Packers, and they're only three points behind. The score is 24 to 21, just minutes in the game, and, man, everybody, the Michiganders, were like, come on, man, this is it. Let's get this one. Let's win this one. And, of course, the Packers 
get the ball. They go down. They score a touchdown. Like, dang it. 31-21, the game ends. The Lions walk off the field, having become the only team in the history of the NFL to go 0-16. Just feel that for a moment. Let that sink in. Josh is thinking, don't be picking on people, man. Come on, this isn't nice. What's the moral of the story? Well, one of the morals of the story is keep your chin up because at least you're not an Ohio State Buckeye. I mean, come on, at least that, right? But I would say keep your chin up because every season comes to pass. It'll pass. The season that you're in, if you're going through a tough season right now, it will pass if you embrace it and you walk through it doubling down on who Jesus is. And I'll say this is that I find in my life is that when I embrace the seasons that I'm in, when they're tough, it really dictates the next season I go into and sets me up. If I go into that next season with bitterness and unforgiveness, which I wrestle with a lot because I'm human. I know Josh isn't. He's not human, but I am. I wrestle with that stuff. If, I, if God is, help, is able to help me defeat that, I go into the next season, and it's a lot better. And if I walk through a good season being generous and compassionate and caring about others and not getting greedy and trying to say, okay, God, uh, you were cool when I needed you, but I don't really need you now. Then when I come into that next season, I, I'm like, oh, I need you again, Lord. I got I to gotta go after you. No matter what season you're in, just go all in. Because remember, that season will pass. Another thought is, is that to embrace the season you're in is this simply stay in the fight. Just stay in the fight. Here's what Paul says in verse 7. I fought the good fight. I finished the race, and I've remained faithful. Let's read it again. Let's get a little participation here. I fought the, I finished the, I've remained. There's a good fight. You know, where I come from in California, the recent statistics, I, I've heard it a number of times, so maybe it's true. I'm, I'm kind of skeptical on all the statistics stuff. But maybe it's true. They say 76% of marriages in California end up in divorce. So 24% are still holding on. And I have a lot of really close friends in my life who have been divorced or are going through a divorce. And the last thing I would ever try to do is fully understand what that's like because I haven't been through that. They understand. And maybe you've been through a divorce. You understand the fallout and the pain of what that's like. And I would say as followers of Christ, our first response is, how can I help? But for the 24% of us, that are still in it, man, no matter what season your marriage goes into, stay in the fight because it's a good fight worth fighting for. If you have kids, you have teenagers, or they're grown up, and, and there's just something that's not there yet in your relationship with them, and you're fighting for that, stay in the fight. They are worth it. There's a good fight to be had. Those relationships, those people that you love the most, it is worth fighting for. And that good fight is not a fight where you take up arms and go put on boxing gloves and start taking people out. No, it's the fight of prayer and loving people and being gracious and compassionate toward others and trying to woo them back to a place where God can capture their heart again. There is a good fight to be had. And Paul says, I have fought the good fight. He says, I've, I've finished the race. Remember, he's at his last season. I finished the race. Guys, we are in this deal to finish. Finish the race that God has put before you. What is that 
that calling on your life that you, you get a sense that God's calling you to. Not where you get a paycheck, but what does he want you to be all about? Finish that race. Walk that thing out. Stay in that. He says, I remain faithful. I think we should get, you know, in a world where everybody gets a trophy. When I was a kid, you had to actually win to get a trophy. But now everybody gets a trophy, right? In a world where everybody gets a trophy, we got to give out faithfulness trophies, man. I mean, come on. I think that God measures more about our, measures us more on our faithfulness than he does on any other success that we try to conjure up and say, this is the definition of success in my life, or even following Jesus. I think God's saying, man, I just want to say well done, good, and faithful servant. Paul says, I've remained faithful through the seasons of plenty and the seasons of lack, the seasons of joy and pleasure and the fruit of the Spirit, just crazy in my life, and the seasons of, where are you, God? And God stays silent. God, I need you. I need to know what decision to make here. This is crucial. Come through for me. Just stay faithful. Stay faithful to him in his word because I guarantee you if you're in a place or you've ever been in a place where you want to give up on God, he will never give up on you. He will never give up on you. Stay faithful. Stay in the fight. The fight exists in the good season. The fight exists to not become arrogant and all about yourself. But in those tough seasons, stay in that fight. Finish that race. Remain faithful to what God has called you to. Look at somebody and say, all right, man, sounds good to me. Don't you hate it when you ask people to do something and it just flops? I had him in deep thought. I was thinking of Angel, your mom. That's, that's such a cool story. I got into cycling a little over a year ago. Where I live, cycling is huge. Everything outdoors is huge. Cycling, running, hiking, mountaineering, kayaking, paddleboarding, you know, this crazy outdoor stuff. And I got into cycling a little over a year ago and having a blast. And a guy talked me in uh, back in uh, on Thanksgiving. We were having dinner with some folks. And he said, man, you got to ride the uh, what's called the Wine Country Century with me. I'm like, what is that? And he said, it's a 100-mile ride all through Napa Valley. It's beautiful. you got to do it with me. So he talked me into signing up for this ride. So I signed up for this 100-mile bike ride. And I'm thinking, what have I got myself into, man? This is crazy. So I kind of put myself in a little bit of a training routine. And I was kind of building up my, uh, my stamina, my distance, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, the furthest I had rode before was 60 miles on my bike. And that just, that whooped me. I mean, that took me out. And I'm thinking, how am I going to do 100 miles? This is crazy. So I'm keeping trying to build up. And I was really busy. Uh, it, was, it was in the beginning of May. So April, I was really busy. Didn't get a chance to get out riding as much as I wanted to. And a friend of mine, one of the guys going on the ride, so let's just do a 50-mile road ride. And it'll really help you, Scott, because the pace will be quicker. And for other reasons, it's just, it's just good for you to do this. So it was a week before this ride through Napa Valley, and it was on a Friday afternoon, and I get on my bike, the, the two of us are riding, and actually it was on a Friday morning, about 8 a.m., and we start going, and I'm thinking, man, all right, let's knock this 50 mile out, next week 100 miles, it's going to be amazing, 
And we are like 12 miles into this ride. And I said, stop! Stop, please, I can't. I mean, literally, pull over, would you? I was done. I had nothing in me. And I was like, what, what is going on? 12 miles. I mean, that is, it's nothing. I mean, literally, you go out for a casual ride, it's 25 miles. So it's like 12, what is going on? And so we rested for a second. I was out of breath. I had no energy. My legs were done. I just couldn't figure it out. And I'm, I'm like, give me some, give me some performance-enhancing drugs or something. Help me through this thing. And they had not, I said, let's give it a shot. Let's get back on the road and get going. So we got back on the road, and literally, we went a mile. And I said, stop. I just, there's nothing in my tank. And he said, well, we can go off this direction here. It'll get us back home. It's about an eight-mile ride back. So I'm thinking, all right, 20 miles, I can, I, can, I can suck it up for eight miles. So we're on the road, we're riding, and as I'm riding, I start thinking, why can't I not do this ride today? What's going on? I, just, I was confused and I was concerned because next week was 100 miles with about 4,000 feet of climb coming up. So, man, what is going on? And it hit me. I'm riding my bike, and it just as an image, I mean, literally riding my bike, traffic's going by, and I picture the three chili dogs I ate the night before. It's like, oh, that doesn't work too well, does it? And then I thought, well, what did I eat this morning? I had a half a piece of toast. So I am literally, I have no fuel to run on. And I've got to ride this ride. So I get through that day scared, scared. And I go to the ride, and we, get in, and we started in Santa Rosa, California. And it was beautiful. It was like 2,500 riders. And I had gotten back to my, my rhythm and rode through the week. So I was pretty good to go, but still 100 miles. I never rode 100 miles. And this is going to be about 100 miles in about seven hours. And so it just hits me. I'm like, okay, I cannot do this, and actually I don't have to do it. This is like your mom, Angel. She knows more than I do. I did not have to ride 100 miles that day. I just had to ride about 25 miles four times. That's it. Because at each place, they would have like this place you'd go in, you'd refuel, and you'd, you'd drink some stuff, and you'd eat a little bit. You wouldn't drink wine, but that wouldn't be safe even though you're in Napa Valley. Um, but you'd refuel, and I just thought, okay, okay, just focus on four segments of this ride, and they're about 25 miles each. It's all I have to do. Easy, elementary, pop psychology, right? Yeah, it, it really is. But this is the thought is, in the season that you're in, you don't have to figure out how it's going to end. You don't have to figure out exactly what you're going to do in the next season. That's where we go back to trusting God is going to bring us through this thing. You don't have to figure it out, but just focus in on this season Go all in, stay in the fight, and it might just be a 25-mile leg of your life, but stay in that season because that season is going to end, and you'll be renewed for the next one up in front of you. You don't have to figure it out. Just one season at a time. Embrace the season that you're in, be it good or bad. And my last thought is this, is that to embrace the season that we're in, keep our eyes on the prize, and that's eternity. Here's what Paul says in verse 8. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Man, when you're going through a great season, just remember that this life is temporary. And everything you invest your life in now has implications when we step into eternity. It doesn't have implications on forgiveness of sin. 
and grace and God loving you, but it has implications, as Jesus taught us over and over about investing in this world so that in the next, there's some rewards for what we lived our life and what our life was all about. As you're going through the season, a good season, say, what can I do in this season that will make any difference for eternity? And when you're in that tough season, man, it's great to remember this will not last forever, and there will come a day if you follow Jesus and you're a, you're a believer, there will come a day when you step into eternity and you'll look back going, man, it was all worth it. I stayed in the fight. I went all in. I kept my eyes on the prize. Paul's getting ready to die. And he says, now awaits me that crown of righteousness. But it's not just for me. It's for all who long for his appearing. A couple of weeks ago, I was at church. And this 14-year-old boy comes in, and a friend of mine stays with him when he's at church uh, because just to give the, the grandma who he lives with, to give her a break. Uh, this, this boy's name is Julian, and he has this uh, rare disease called ad adrenal leukodystrophy or something like that. And it attacks the nervous system. And a couple of years ago, uh, his family came to me and said, hey, Julian wants to get baptized. Can we have a special baptism party for him at someone's pool at their house? And, I was, I was like, and he was 12. And I kind of asked the basic question, like, well, why does he want to get baptized? Because I'm looking for, you know, Grandma, do you want him to get baptized? Do you want him to get the T-shirt that says, you know, I have decided or something on it? No, he wants to get baptized because he loves Jesus, and Jesus told him to be baptized. All right, good enough for me, man. That's great. Let's do this thing. So we get a bunch of people together. We have this party for Julian, and we, I have the pleasure of baptizing him. And the reason that she wanted me to baptize him then, she said she, wanted, she had some urgency on it, not only as, an, as, a, as a step of following Christ, but because of his life. She literally said this disease he has, he's going to begin to quickly lose comprehension of what's going on around him. And I want him to be there when we're there. And I want him to understand what's going on and have, as long as his memory lasts, to, to remember that. So we baptize him, and he continues to progress, uh, just getting worse and worse. And literally, his grandma says, it could be any day. He's in church a couple weeks ago, and I go up to see him, and we're sitting down, and, and he, he can't see anymore. So someone's kind of holding him, and he, his eyes are open, but he can't really see. And when he talks to you, you when, when you talk to him, you got to get really close and, like, talk in his ear. Not yell at him, but you got to really be very articulate so he can understand what you're saying. And when he talks back, he talks about, you guys listen real close to what he's saying. And I don't say that to be disrespectful. I just, that's the condition he's in. And um, my friend Rob, who's with him, says, says Julian, tell Pastor Scott um, what you're excited about. And he says, I, I'm, I'll speak more normal here. He says, I'm really excited about seeing Jesus. And I'm really excited about heaven and how amazing heaven's going to be and, and what Jesus is going to look like and that I get to go see him. And I had a pretty tough week that week, but as you can only imagine, I'm sitting there going, you didn't have a tough week, Scott. What an idiot, you know? This kid, he has his eyes on the prize. He's forced to have his eyes on the prize. You know, he, his only option is, is that probably right now. This 14-year-old kid reminded me, keep your eyes on the prize, man. 
This life is short. We're going to go through seasons. Embrace it. If we don't embrace it, we may not make it through it. Go all in. Stay in the fight. Keep our eyes on him. You're sitting here, and maybe you're a follower of, of Jesus. I assume many of you are because we're in a church. And maybe you're at, a place, you're, at a, you're at a place in your life like, man, I've been doing the church thing. I've been doing the God thing for a while. And man, I remember when God was just white hot in my life. But lately, I'm just going through this season. It's dry. I don't, I'm not as passionate about the things of God as I have been. Just stay in the season. Walk through it. Fight through it. Fight the good fight because you're going to go through it. And that season of renewal is going to come. And I'm going to pray for you in a minute that, that if that's you, that that's what you begin to experience. In fact, let's just pray right now. Father God, thank you so much for those of us in this room that, God, that we know you and we know that you are good and we know that, that you have great things in store for those who love you, who are called according to your purpose, God. Lord, I pray that you would, in, in our hearts right now, give us, a, give us a strength and a courage to embrace the season that we're in, Lord. For those of us that are in a great season right now, God, we say thank you. Thank you so much that we're experiencing some of the blessing of what it means to be a child of God. We're thankful, God, for these good seasons. Keep us humble and keep us dependent on you even when it doesn't look like we need you because it seems like we have enough around us. But God, we need you so much. Thank you for the good seasons. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ that are here today that maybe they're walking through a tough season, God. Lord, I pray that by your spirit you'd speak to their heart right now and just remind them the season will pass. Embrace me in this season. finish this race because it's not too long and we're going to see you. We're going to see you face to face, Lord. With our heads still bowed and our eyes closed, allow me the, the privilege to speak to you for a minute. Maybe you're here. I hope you're here. In, in, I hope there's a bunch of you here that don't know Christ. Because I don't think God brought you here by mistake. Even if someone dragged you in and they bribed you with breakfast, you're still here and God's got your attention. Here's the deal. It doesn't matter if you love Jesus or not, you still go through seasons in life. And we still go through highs and lows in life. How cool would it be to actually invite Jesus in to the season that you're living in right now? How amazing would it be to be able to take the season you're in and say, God, what do you think of this? God, who are you in this season? And God, who am I? And who am I to be? To begin a relationship with God in this season would be amazing. And of course, as we talked about keeping our eyes on the prize in eternity, to step in front of God, to be in His presence, and have Him say, well done, good and faithful servant. If you don't know Christ, you haven't given Him the opportunity to say that to you. So you can invite Him into your life, not only for this season, but for all of eternity. With our heads bowed, our eyes closed, just so you can focus on what God might be saying to you. I want to invite you to surrender your life to Christ. Just sitting where you are, uh, not calling you forward or anything that, that might embarrass you, but to say, God, 
Get, take my heart, Lord. I want you. Here's the 30-second message of who Jesus is. God created you and me. And we were born with sin in our nature because man chose to go on the other direction to disobey God. Sin came in. It's in our DNA. We have the propensity to drift from everything that's righteous and holy and that's of God. And God intervened by saying, I'm going to step in and I'm going to pay the price of justice for the sin of everyone. I'm going to become a man, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. I'm going to die. I'm going to live the life that no one could live, and that's a life without sin. Because I need to die the death that no one can die, and that is for the sin of the world. And I'm going to create moments like this at Vertical Church where folks hear about this reality, and I prompt them in their heart to surrender themselves to me and begin a relationship with me. That's the brief message of what Jesus is all about. You're sitting here, your head's bowed, your eyes closed. And if we were sitting together having a cup of coffee, being honest right now, you could say, Scott, I haven't given my life to Christ. But man, I want him in this season of my life. And even more, I want to be able to step into eternity knowing that I have peace with him. Scott, would you pray for me? Would you include me in this prayer? I want Christ in my life. I want to make that decision this morning in this place. If that's you, you say, Scott, include me in that prayer. Just lift your hand real quick. I want to see who I get to to pray for. It's God, I want Christ in my life. Man, I see your hand. Praise God for you. Who else? I want Christ in my life. Just slip your hand. Be, be bold about this, man. This is, this is not something to step back from. This is something to step into. Jesus wants you in my life. Let's all pray this together as a family. Let's say this out loud, man. Let's be bold about this. This is not a get out of hell ticket or religious prayer. This is a Jesus. I'm going all in. If you created me, then I'm in with you, man. I am in. I can trust you with everything. Pray this prayer. Say, Father God, today I surrender my life to you. Please forgive me of my mistakes and my sin. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. That you died for me. That you've risen from the dead. Be the Lord of my life. My Savior. Fill me with your spirit. I want to live as a child of God. God, help me to go all in with you. In Jesus' name.